We're in John 15 this morning, and uh, Jesus is in his last hours before the cross. Gethsemane, where he travailed in agony over being the sacrificial lamb, where he prayed three times, Father, if you can remove this cup, or if you can do this salvation of mankind in any other way, do it. And then he would say, nevertheless, your will be done. And when the guilt of our own sins comes upon us, we're troubled at the burden of sin. We're troubled by the separation from fellowship with God. It's been said the amount of time from when you sin to when you repent is how spiritual you are. Sometimes I want to work my way back to God's good graces before I repent. <laughs> you know, try to earn his favor. But Jesus fully understands he's about to be separated from his disciples. And he loves his disciples. And he realizes the cross will separate him also from his heavenly father. Jesus will miraculously take on the sins of the entire world. And as Jesus begins to draw near to the cross, the burden of the cross, it weighs heavily upon him. And he begins to travail. He begins to agonize over what awaits him and the leaving of his disciples. In Chapter 14, verse 27, Jesus proclaims, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Those are easy words to say, but they can be difficult to fulfill those words. The peace Jesus gives takes away anxiety, takes away worry. I know we don't worry. We get concerned as Christians. Worrying is a sin, so we just become concerned. And it takes away fear. Jesus, his disciples have known him for three and a half years. They walked with him. Their lifestyle became his lifestyle. Jesus was their provider. And he's about to leave them. But the change that comes about in their lives is for the better. For Jesus will give his Holy Spirit, and he'll give it to his companions, his followers, and the Holy Spirit will comfort and teach the disciples all things. What a great promise. The Holy Spirit will even bring to remembrance all the words that Jesus has spoken to them. And it's a great comfort for us as modern day followers of Christ to have God in and by his Holy Spirit abide and dwell in us. Jesus said he, he wouldn't leave his disciples as orphans and he doesn't leave you and I as orphans. And Jesus' words dwell in us. 
and he brings them to remembrance in our time of need. But Jesus will now give the disciples his, probably one of his last examples or teachings. And that's the vine and the vine dresser. And we, as his disciples, are the branches. Jesus and God have fellowship with us as us being the branches. So let's read John chapter 15, verse 1 through 8. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and it is withered. And they gather them up and throw them into the fire and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. You have to kind of put yourself into that society, into that culture, and understand that vines and grapevines were all over Israel. They even had on the temple wall an image of a grapevine. Vineyards surrounded Jerusalem. And they were, the vineyards were a source of common, everyday beverage. Wine, the drink of celebration, and everyday refreshment. Plus, they would drink a watered-down wine with their meals. And we remember Jesus' first miracle. At a wedding feast, he turns water into wine. And so we have vines and grapevines, a symbol of Israel. And many parables are spoken of Israel being like a vineyard to the Lord. So Jesus uses one of the most common everyday things common that it was always there before Israel, grapevines as his example of relationship with us, his disciples. I am the vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Now this example of vine and branches is even more closely related to us, more graphic than sheep and shepherds. This is down to the very root of everyday life, whether or not you were a shepherd or not. So the vine and the vineyard, as branches, that's you and I, we must bear fruit or be removed. That's pretty straightforward. Jesus said, my father will remove the branches that do not bear fruit. 
as a branch, you and I have one duty, bear fruit. That's all we have. And each and every branch that bears fruit, it is pruned to bear more fruit. Now, I was a tree farmer for, for a few years in California, and farmers work harder in the winter than they do in the summer, and our winter job was to prune your trees, or if you had grapevines, prune your grapevines. And there's a little saying, a little axiom among farmers, a farmer owner cannot prune his own trees. For owner is not willing to cut away that healthy, vibrant branch that is sucking away all the nutrients of the tree. You see this beautiful limb? Oh, no, don't cut that one. Better leave that one. But grapevines, they're cut back to the very stalk. And uh, they're actually, you look down a, the rows of a vineyard after they've pruned them, and it looks denuded. There's just nothing there, hardly at all, that bears life. But the pruning is necessary, or no crop that spring. And if you don't prune, you have a crop that is greatly diminished by not being pruned. The branches pruned from the almond trees, which I grew almonds, we would push into great, enormous piles. And then we would burn them. Today they shred those vine, uh, limbs. But back in Jesus' day, they also burned these pruned limbs. And then verses 2 and 6 speaks of the vine dresser, God the Father, taking away branches that do not bear fruit, and he burns them. Now, I do not want for a moment to soften the words of Jesus. I would be doing a disservice by softening God's word. This is not a parable. These are Jesus' words to his disciples, and he speaks plainly and declares, He is the vine. God the Father is the vine dresser or the caretaker of the vineyard. We, the followers of Christ, are the branches. Verse 2 Unfaithful branches are removed, taken away. Verse 8, a branch or a limb not abiding in Jesus, it withers and dies. It becomes dead. It becomes of no use. A withered dead limb is pruned away, and it's gathered up, thrown into the fire. A dead limb on a vine only does one thing. It bears diseases that will destroy the vine. That's why you must cut away the dead limbs or vines. So the dead limb has one future, and that's to be burnt. And it's of no use whatsoever. Now, we all have heard or 
hear about church leaders, many time preachers who do not abide in Christ, who get caught up in sin and they disgrace themselves. I believe this is God's way of removing, simply removing them from his church. Some of these non-abiding leaders, they repent and they're restored. But many of them just fade off into the sunset. So the message is simple. Abide in Jesus. There it is. You want to be of service? You're called to be of service? Abide in Jesus. Live a life of fellowship with God. For apart from abiding with Christ, Jesus says you can do nothing. Nothing of value. So we have a choice to abide. Jesus is committed to abiding with us. He's in all the way. Abide and allow the Holy Spirit of God to indwell you. Cherish the relationship. Cultivate that relationship with the living God through his Holy Spirit given to us. It's interesting that Jesus said would say, you can do nothing of value apart from me. You can gain the whole world, but if you lose your soul, you've lost everything. We can put on the appearance of being godly. Sunday mornings we do a good job of that. But it's just that. It's only appearance. Verse 7, Jesus speaks of the benefits of abiding. And he says, ask what you desire and it will be done for you. That's a big promise. But have you ever thought about how as you mature in Christ, your desires change as you grow in Christ? As you mature, your desires mature. I was once teaching a home fellowship group, and I asked this group, what would you ask of God to give you? So I'll ask you this morning, what will you ask of God? What is your desire from Jesus? To be given a desire or my desires, that's a sobering thought. There was a fellow in that group that I was teaching. He said, I would ask God to give me whatever he desires. That can be a sort of a cop-out. What do you desire? What are your desires? To know that God gives the, his best, his desires. Well, this fellow thought, hey, God's, God loves me and he'll, he won't give me anything bad, so his desires are better for me than my own desires. And I guess that's true. But when we think this desire thing through, first thing I say is, God, purify my heart. I don't even know what to ask for many times. 
And what I consider needs, when you break it down, they're usually just simply wants. And I don't want to be asking for temporary things, not temporary things of pleasure. Got a, got a thought for you. Have you ever considered you and I might be the only persons who could handle winning the lottery? And I'm really not sure about you. <laughs> but I think I could handle it. And you start developing that thought and you realize you couldn't handle it. But back in chapter 14, verse 14, Jesus says, Ask anything in my name and I will do it. Now in verse 7 of chapter 15, abide in Jesus and ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. What promises? Spiritually speaking, God gives us godly desires. And our desires become a thing that glorifies God when they are granted to us. Many desires, though, require God to do a work in our heart and life. We need to go through a preparation in our life so that God is glorified. Let me give you one example. 1 Timothy 3.1 If a man desires the position of a bishop, elder, or pastor, he desires a good work. A desire from God is different than fantasizing. A desire is something to allow God to work out in you, to prepare you for, something for you to pray about. I can honestly say God gave me the desire to be a pastor, to plant a church in the Calvary Chapel system. Now, in my younger days as a believer, I would have laughed at that thought of being a pastor. I had no early desires whatsoever to be a pastor. But to be a pastor was years of preparation that I didn't, did not even realize I was going through. And they continue on today. God is constantly pruning away fleshly desires and, uh, at once. But like Popeye said to olive oil, I am what I am. Well, he says, I am what I am, but whatever. And I still marvel at the work of God in my own life. Perhaps you are considering serving the Lord in some capacity that even surprises you for thinking that thought. This just might be a God-planted desire. Never question what God wants to do in your heart and life. Just try to be obedient to it. Allow Jesus by his spirit to challenge you to serve him, to bear fruit. And what kind of fruit are we to bear? Fruit that remains, that go before us.
So there it is. What are your desires? What are your wants? Run them through prayer to the Lord Jesus and see what he develops in you. And we'll have men in the prayer area back here that would be happy to pray with you about your desires. And if you haven't ever asked the Lord for desires, make that an issue of prayer also. So let me get you to stand and we'll close in prayer. Father God, when we read that Jesus is the vine and you are the vine dresser and we read how you take away some branches and you prune the branches that are already bearing fruit to bear more fruit. Your desire is that we would bear fruit and that we would bear fruit that remains. So Lord, cultivate our thoughts, challenge our thoughts to be of value, of use to you and your kingdom. You choose ordinary men. You chose 12 ordinary men to be your disciples. And then you poured out your spirit into them. Lord, we here we are. And our prayer is choose us. Use us for your glory, for your kingdom. Use us small, use us great. Lord, that choice is yours. But we do offer ourselves to you. And offer up our desires too. And Lord, if that means changing our desires, then change our desires. Let us be about you and your kingdom. For life is so short, and we want our lives to matter. We want our lives to bear fruit. And we ask for this in your name, Jesus. Amen.